Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter. Hey guys, this is Russ and this is the Overlook Podcast. Today, we're going to continue where I left off with the previous episode, The Found Part 1, where I go over cases of missing people of color who have been missing for years and were later discovered to be alive. The first one I'm going to start with today is the disappearance of Judith Bello. Judith Bello is a Hispanic woman who was a married mother when she went missing from Stanwood, Washington in 1992. On the day of her disappearance, she left work and was scheduled to pick up her son from daycare, but she never came. Later, her car was found abandoned and family, they feared the worst. A police search was conducted for Judith, but nothing was found that actually led to the discovery of Judith or where she could have went. And just a few months after she disappeared, her husband took her son and left. And for years, no one knew where they were either. In fact, police didn't even know where they were and couldn't reach out to them to get more information. It took the family years before they heard from her son. He had reached out to his grandmother and informed them that, yeah, no, we've been living in Mexico. And the years went on and on and on, and people pretty much assumed the worst. But back in 2011, a woman came across a pack of playing cards. This deck was called the Cold Case Playing Cards. See, in 2007, a guy by the name of Tommy Ray, a special agent for the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, developed a deck of playing cards that had the pictures and general information of individuals involved in unsolved cases. Law enforcement, they partnered up with Crime Stoppers to produce these cards, and they handed them out to inmates in the state presence hoping by giving them these cards that they're going to use and play with in their free time would produce tips and information about unsolved crimes. And it worked. Within three months of launching these cards and putting them in the prisons, authorities were able to solve three cases thanks to inmates stepping up and contacting law enforcement with information. So soon, other states began to implement the same thing. They created their own card decks and put the pictures of individuals from unsolved on their decks and passed them out to their prison system. And many states started to see this work, and they also started getting tips and solving crimes because of these decks as well. So going back to the woman... Though these cards are passed out in the prisons, sometimes they may get out because once prisoners are released, they take the cards with them. So this woman, she somehow came across this deck of cards. We're really not sure how, but she found something odd about one of these cards. You see, the Eight of Hearts, it had her picture on it. She called the police and let them know, oh, hey, guys, yeah, you guys are about to solve a missing person's case because that Eight of Hearts, Judith Bello, yeah, I'm her, and I'm not missing. See, Judith states that she disappeared due to her husband and her fear of her husband. It's alleged that he was abusive. She didn't know her walking away had actually turned into this missing person case. And it's said that Judith, she didn't reach out to her family out of fear of her husband and what he could do and the issues he would cause for them if they knew anything about where she had been. Police came out and they confirmed that this indeed was Judith. And she was put back in touch with her siblings and family in 2011. 
Next, we have the case of Carlos de Salazar. Carlos Sanchez Ortiz de Salazar went missing in 1995 at the age of 26. Now, there's not a lot of details about his original missing persons case. It's said that in 1995, right before he disappeared, he was suffering from depression when he went up to the forest in Scarlino, Tuscany. Many assumed that he was dead, that he committed suicide. In fact, in 2010, he was legally declared dead. But something interesting happened in 2015. In 2015, two mushroom pickers were in the Scarlino Forest when they came across a man, a very wild-looking man. He had ruffled, scruffy hair and looked as if he had been living out there in a forest for a while. Initially, they were terrified, and they kind of like ran back out the forest to get a ranger. And they returned with this ranger a few hours later. When they came, the man was still there, and he greeted them. And he told them who he was. He said that, hey, yeah, I'm a former psychiatrist. My name is Carlos de Salazar, and I've been living in this forest since 1995. Now, from what I can find, it looks like he kind of just explained that he was living there. He just wanted to escape from living amongst people. He still actually had his passport all the way back from in the 90s, and he showed it to them. It seems like he just really wanted to be there and be left alone. And what he was doing was technically not legal. It's legal to walk away from your life, and it's legal to camp out in the forest. So the mushroom pickers and the ranger, they left them there. But the mushroom pickers, they actually went out and contacted an Italian missing persons charity to give them this information. The charity, in turn, started looking for his family, but it took them about a month or so to find his family. See, Carlos, his parents were still alive, and they were so happy to find out that so was their son. They flew out to Tuscany to meet their son. However, by the time they got there, he had packed up camp and disappeared again. Now, this was incredibly devastating to his parents. They had rushed to meet him just for a second, just for a second to hold him. His mom is quoted by Express UK as saying, We respect his wishes and his freedom. But we will not rest until we have re-embraced him for even just a moment. We just want to know that he is okay. Now, later, villagers nearby the forest have been able to confirm that, yeah, there's been this silent stranger living in the forest for a few years now. But he mostly kept to himself. While so far it does not appear that Carlos has resurfaced, it did bring a little bit of light joy for family and friends to know that there's still hope out there that he's alive, that he had been out there all this time. Now, the last case I'm going to cover for this episode is the Cleveland abductions. Now, this case was a huge case and it's a well-known case. So I am going to skim over the details because I'm going over multiple cases. I'm not going over the cases in detail, but enough to give you a little background of, hey, this is what happened before and this is how they were found. 
Now, the Cleveland abduction case is very well known. It was all over the news when it happened. Now, if you listen to season two, episode 25, where I cover the disappearance of Rachel McQueen, in that episode, I talked about how her family was still holding out hope and how her family held out hope because of the Cleveland abduction case and how one of the victims, Gina De Jesus's mother, held out hope that she was going to find her baby girl. And in season two, episode 25, Miss McQueen's family, that gave them hope. Knowing that case, being able to think about how her mother spent over a decade holding out hope that she would see her baby girl again. And she did. Kept their hope alive as well. So I decided, you know what, just in case there is a couple people who still don't know that story. I'm going to go over quickly so you can understand why this case brings so many families of missing individuals hope. So in 2002, Michelle Knight, a 21-year-old woman, went missing after leaving her cousin's home. In April 2003, Amanda Berry disappeared after leaving her job at Burger King. She was only 16 years old. Just a little while later, 14-year-old Georgina, also known as Gina de Jesus, disappeared on her way home from school in 2004. All three victims disappeared from the Cleveland area. Now, Michelle, searches really weren't done for her. But when 16-year-old Amanda and 14-year-old Gina disappeared, this was making some waves. Searches were done for Amanda and Gina, but... Nothing was really found. Some in the community began to fear the worst. Now, Gina, her mother, she did not. She, of course, was terrified because her baby wasn't home. But throughout all, she held out hope that her little girl was still alive and out there, and she was going to find her. But days and days and years and years went by, and the police had no new evidence and no new clues or suspects. And while all this was going on, the girls were all confined to the very same home, kidnapped by a man named Ariel Castro, a local bus driver who held them captive in his home for about 11 years. In this home, they were often left in dark rooms for days, subjected to rape, torture, and starvation. Now see, here's the thing about Ariel Castro. He somewhat knew all of the victims. Now with Michelle, she knew Ariel Castro because she knew his oldest daughter. When she had bumped into him, she was running late with a social worker. See, she was a young mother and the state had custody of her son. And she figured since she knew him and she was running late for this very important meeting, that she there was nothing wrong with taking it. However, This would be a decision she would later grow to regret. When she got in the car, he drove to his home and instead shoved her into a room and let her know she would not be leaving for a long time. The next year, Casio took Amanda, who also recognized him. She was walking home from work when he came across her. He offered her a ride as well. See, she also knew him as well as she knew one of his daughters. Yeah, she said something to the effect of, hey, she's home, why don't you come visit her? I'll drop you off, you guys can hang. She agreed and went into the home. But of course, 
she never got to hang with his daughter. Instead, she too was confined to a room where she would live out hell for over the next decade. The following year, Castro did the same thing. Hey, offering rides to girls who, who knew him through his daughters. It worked before, and it will work a third time. He saw Gina de Jesus when she was heading home from school. He used his daughters as bait, managed to get her in a car, and managed to get her to his home where she was in prison like the others. All three girls and women was locked up inside of Castro's boarded up home on 2207 Seymour Avenue in Cleveland. They were deprived of all sorts of basic necessities, food, access to running water, bathroom. The girls were raped daily. Amanda went on to carry a pregnancy to full term while living in this home. She gave birth to a daughter in 2006. Castro treated this daughter as one of his daughters and forced Amanda to pretend that things were normal, telling her things like her chains were actually bracelets. The child was allowed to wander throughout the house freely, but the women, they were not. During her time there, Castro would play all types of mind tricks with them. He would use basic human necessities and dangle them in front of them like rewards. Things like allowing them to shower, but he had a shower with them, and only if they did something to earn that privilege. And while he sometimes let the women out of their rooms to do chores, he had created such a feeling of mistrust and chaos between the women that they weren't sure who was in cahoots with him and who wasn't. In an article by MamaMia.com, Amina is quoted talking about how they would get jealous of one another. They quote her saying, it could be them getting more food, different clothes, simple things. But when you didn't have anything, you think, well, I want that. Now, eventually in 2013, the women were able to escape. Now, see, Amanda, remember, she had the daughter that was born in captivity, and that daughter was allowed to move about freely. And she knew Castro as daddy, as her father. And so one day, while wandering about, she wandered back into her mother's room and said, Daddy's blue car is in here. And her mother recognized, this is my chance. On May 6, 2013, Amanda broke through one of the border front doors and ran across the street and called 911. In an infamous phone call that has been heard by many worldwide, she said, help me. I'm Amanda Berry. I've been kidnapped and I've been missing for 10 years. And I'm, I'm here. I'm free now. The police arrived to the boarded up home where they discovered Gina and Michelle inside the house. Castro was arrested, and he pled guilty to 937 charges. A month after he was sentenced, he took his own life in his cell. Since being rescued, all three women have gone on to do amazing things. Michelle changed her name and has written two books. She went on to get married and found a foundation called Lily's Ray of Hope, which aims to help women and girls who have experienced trauma. Amanda, likewise, has become an author, a speaker, and a TV personality. 
In 2017, she joined Fox 8 Cleveland to host its missing persons segment called Missing. She also partnered with the U.S. Marshals for an operation called Operation Safety Net. And this was an operation that located 35 missing and endangered children. In one article, U.S. Marshal Pete Elliott says that Amanda was one of the biggest reasons that this operation was successful. He went on to tell Fox News, she is a great example for Cleveland, Ohio, where you fight and you never quit, and that's what she does. Now, Gina, she was the youngest of the girls captured, and she also became an author. She and Amanda actually co-author a book together called Hope, A Memoir of Survival in Cleveland, which was published in 2015 and was a number one bestseller. But Gina also went on to co-found the Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults, where they work with families and help them navigate the media and get the type of help that they need to help finding their missing loved ones. Now, with each of these stories, I just give you guys a brief synopsis of it. A lot of them, especially the Cleveland case, has a lot more to it. In fact, there is a movie made about that case that is on Lifetime. I'm sure you can probably still find it online now. And the movie was actually based off the book written by Michelle Knight, one of the victims. So if you're interested in that, you can definitely, one, go buy any of your books or look up the movie and watch that online as well, I'm sure. Now, guys, that's all I have for you today. Hopefully you guys enjoy. As always, I ask that you guys stay safe, stay vigilant, and you'll hear the sound of my voice again next Sunday. Bye. Mean Old Lion Media, where black and brown voices truly matter.